0: is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. If you did not listen to the last two episodes where Laurel started sharing her story, Go back two episodes. Start there. She is back on today's episode, and we are going to jump right in. So, in your artistic endeavors, and for our listeners, we are actually intentionally keeping it vague to protect her in her specific situation. Just so you're not like, "What is happening?" We're intentionally keeping this vague to protect Laurel. Can you talk about how he used you and his control of your artistic? Projects and your ideas and things like that, and how that was also an element of the abuse?
1: So, we went to school together for the same artistic pursuits. I was in one particular vein of that pursuit, he was in another. However, it was the same type of education. And then we both went on to graduate school for the same artistic field. And when we got married, I was performing some of his things. And he seemed to really appreciate that. And when I had a physical issue that caused me to not be able to do that as often, suddenly he started withholding from me. So for example, I was expected to make posters for his events, announcing his events, do all this graphic design work for him and use, I have several different artistic skills, so to use that to serve him. I was also expected to not only attend the events, which I was glad to do because I wanted to support my partner, but I was also asked to work at them like an employee much of the time, which also didn't bother me at the time. But he did not give me credit for any of the graphic design work that I did. He used a lot of my graphics work for his own things, his own artistic things. And he did not credit me on them. Did he claim they were his? He just didn't say whose they were at all and, and who did all this beautiful work for him. And then after he left, I said... I would like for you to please include a credit on all of my things that I have created that you're using. And that includes all paper copies, all digital copies. All you have to do is add a tagline with my, you know, copyright and that's it. And he, rather than do that, just deleted everything as if I had never existed. Instead of giving me credit for my work, he had to erase me which I found to be very telling. In addition, when we lived at home together for almost two decades, he would hear me doing my art in the home and he would not encourage me. He would not say, hey, I really like this or anything like that. And he also would not come to my events. So where I went to all of his, I guess in a number of years, I had like 64 events and he came to three or four. I tallied it up and I attended basically all of his. So, the, with all these combined messages, told me that my work wasn't worthwhile, that it wasn't good enough. Because if it were, he would not only be attending, but he would be saying that it were good. And the subtle looks of lips pressed together, when I'd be making my art at home, no compliments, no support. It was very clear that he disapproved and that it wasn't good enough.
0: My guess is you're way better than he is.
1: I guess that's a matter of opinion. (laughs) 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 Thank you. Well, I will say as an aside, because the gaslighting was so bad, I started asking a couple of other people I said, this is what I've come to believe about my artistic work and I need to check in with you because you have hired me to do this and that. Is that what you think of my work? And one woman said to me, Laurel, would I have kept hiring you all of these years and would this organization that I represent have kept hiring you all these years if you were really that terrible? And I had to laugh because I realized, you know what, you're right, that's absurd. (laughs) like i i i clearly am good enough
0: yeah but heaven forbid he let you know any bit of that because then you would might be equal right and the the power there has to be the power imbalance for abuse to occur and so he's always got to keep you lower
1: You can't see me waving my arms right now because it's literally like you climbed into my brain and pulled those exact words out of my own thoughts. That's exactly what it was. He needed to be the artist in the home. He needed to be the person who was thought of by everyone as the artist in our home. And he had to keep me down to pump himself up. I've thought about this a lot because it's so... I don't know, mind
0: bending. It's like they want to just mine you for resources. Yes. And so they're trying to mine you for resources and they want to exploit you and they want to have power over you. And so if you were so terrible and awful that you had nothing to give them, then they wouldn't want to exploit you or mine you for resources. So they have to somehow live in these two worlds where what you have is worth exploiting. But they're never going
1: to let you know that. A hundred percent. That is exactly what happened in my marriage. And he spent a lot of time telling me before we got married how amazing I was, which is probably part of the love bombing and the grooming. But I didn't know that at the time. Oh, I should also tell you, he had this big, long letter he wrote to a faculty person about those who quote unquote, have it, and those who quote unquote, don't have it. And that he's a person who has it and what it's like for people who have it. And he told me I was a person who had it. So of course, I was flattered. But then of course, he also wrote in his letter about Well, what happens when you think a person has it and then you find out that they don't and then you're so upset because they betrayed you and they lied to you and you thought they had it, but they didn't. And that's how he treated me. After we got married and as time progressed more and more and more, he was telling me over and over through his withholding and his disapproval that I had misled him. I never had it. I was just a horrible liar. Hmm, you tricked him into thinking that you were super
0: artistic and you weren't. You didn't have that spark. That's right. What a horrible person I am. <laughs> that's funny because that's something that you can't self assess. Yeah, it's funny that. Right? I mean, you could have it or not have it, but it's a lot of people who don't have it think they do,
1: i.e., your ex. <laughs> He was convinced he had it and that he knew who had it and who didn't. He was the authority.
0: We've mentioned a few times the abuse that you suffered growing up. Now, that has nothing to do with his abuse of you. And at BTR, there's just nothing about a child being abused that would mean that she's deserving of abuse as an adult or that she picked someone on purpose or that she's some kind of magnet for abuse or anything like that. We all know someone who has suffered childhood abuse and then grown up and married someone who is awesome, right? That's just has nothing to do with it. So that being said, abusers do like to use anything they can as a weapon, including past childhood trauma or past trauma, therapeutic modalities, spiritual stuff, scripture, you know, any of those things. So specifically for you, when we're talking about this covert abuse, I want you to talk a little bit about how he used your past trauma as weapons and he used it to kind of hook you in and degrade you and how that was especially difficult.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that I want to mention is that because I also experienced physical abuse in my childhood, he used that to intimidate and control me. And how he did it was he would use the rage attacks, um, where he would scream and curse and call me horrible names and throw things and pound on objects you know whether that's a wall or a door frame or whether it's a steering wheel or a dashboard or whatever it was and he would like be close to me with his f- fists all clenched up like he could just lose it at any time and i could be next at any moment so he used that to intimidate and control me and there were times where i said to him After the fact, of course, hey, you know, this behavior really triggers my childhood abuse trauma. You know, could you not do that? Let's find some other way of communicating or managing your anger or whatever is going on there. And instead of saying what a good partner would say, which is, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to fix that. I won't do that again and actually never do it again. He took that as a note. And he would say to me, yeah, I won't do that again. He wouldn't actually apologize, but he would say he wouldn't do it again. And then he would use that more and more often. So those periods of the violence accelerated over time instead of stopped. So that was one of the ways that it showed up.
0: With me, swearing is particularly difficult for me. And so he would swear and I would say... Please do not swear around me like that. I find it to be very disturbing when you're swearing at someone. I like, sorry, I don't mean to call you out if you swear, like shine on people of the world. Just for me, particularly in my own home, I just feel unsafe with that. Right. So especially when it's directed at me in relation to like being angry. And so I said, this is unacceptable in my home. Like, I do not want this. And it's almost like, like, oh, that's what bothers her. I'll use that more. I don't think he ever tried not to. Like, I don't remember him ever holding back or anything. Once he knew that that was the case, it was like, oh, this will work. I will use this. This will upset her or this will push her over the edge or elicit some type of extreme response. And so I am going to use this method. I worry about that with communication with abusers, especially about kids. If people are like, these things are upsetting to the children. And you might list a couple things, right? It's upsetting when their laundry isn't done. It's upsetting when they're not on time for school, you know, stuff like that. It feels like a lot of them are like, oh, great. Okay. I'll make sure the laundry's not done. I'll make sure that I always drag my feet and I'm not on time for school. It's almost like they take it as a a list of things for them to do because their aim is to distress or to upset or to gain control. And they know that that's a way to do it. And that's super disturbing when you start noticing those patterns.
1: Yes. And I experienced those patterns as well, where, you know, we would have a conversation about like, it's really important that when you're cleaning the basement, you don't put the old computers on the tree lawn because someone could steal them and access our personally identifiable information. And we had a long conversation where I explained why it wasn't okay to do. And then he went ahead and did it. You know, so just like you're describing, anything that I came to him with like that, he would do it more and use it as a tool. So that's something that I noticed as well. In addition, regarding, because you brought up about other things from my childhood, he used my childhood abuse to make me believe that I was crazy, to make me believe that I was unstable to make me believe that I just had problems with anxiety and there's nothing wrong with the world that I'm living in. It's just my anxiety when it was actually a lot of his behavior. And he also, we had agreed to have children before we got married. I'm glad now that I didn't have children with him, but we had agreed to wait about five years and about five years into that discussion I said, hey, I think it's time we start talking about this. And he said, well, I have to work a day job and do my art. And so I don't want to spend any time doing anything else. So no, we we're never having children. I, I'm never going to do it. And that's why. And then when we continued talking, he turned it around and later said to me, well, the real reason is actually because of your childhood abuse history, you wouldn't be able to have children and be a good mother. You would abuse the children and you wouldn't do anything and I would do everything. You would be a terrible mother. Um, so he told me I'd be a terrible mother because of my childhood oh, abuse experience. I'm so sorry. Thank you. That was really horrible. That is horrible and absolutely not true. Thank you. I think I would have been a great mother. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Well, and didn't he also do that with housework? I mean, he he said he would have to do everything, but then he didn't do the housework or if he did, he resented it? Actually,
1: funny you should mention that because that was a pattern that came up throughout our marriage where he would, in my perception, go through a period where he would become stressed out about something and he would turn to me and say, you don't do anything, I do everything, you don't do anything. And it became such a pattern That I finally said to him, hey, you know, it really hurts my feelings because you don't acknowledge all these things that I do to contribute and you don't appreciate the work that I do. But he kept on doing it and he started doing it more and more. And so toward the end of the marriage, he actually said to me that the work that I did didn't count because some of it I also enjoyed and therefore it was a hobby. So it didn't count. Oh, like cleaning the toilet? (laughs) Like doing, it's a, it, <laughs> it's a hobby for you. You, you know, I heard that too. <laughs> listeners,
0: listen up. This is a nugget. This is a nugget for you to. <laughs> they don't think it counts if you enjoy if, it. If they say you enjoy it, right? right? You enjoy. Scrubbing the toilet.
1: Right. So it was a hobby. So he said it doesn't count toward the household budget of labor. And the reason that he said that was because he told me so often toward the end that I didn't do anything and he did everything. I was like, you know what? Maybe something's really wrong. Maybe I am doing less. I'm going to put it on a spreadsheet and I'm going to figure it out. Like maybe I need to step it up. And what I realized was that I'm actually doing more than he was as far as like hours per week of household labor. And when I shared that with him, he said, well, what do you want? A parade? I said, no, <laughs> I don't want a parade. I just want you to stop attacking me and saying I don't do anything. And he said, okay. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's good. And then a couple of days later, that's when he pulled the, well, I thought about it and uh, I'm, this is a hobby. So it doesn't count toward the household budget of labor. So he still wow. did everything. Yeah. And I did nothing. Wow. Here's another
0: nugget for all of our listeners. I don't know if this would work, but I want you to consider it. I want you to think about it. When they say that, like, what do you want me to do? Throw a parade? Right. Or when they say like, you don't care about what people think of you or, you know, something. Our inclination is usually to defend ourselves, right? Like, of course you don't want to parade. So of course you're going to be like, no, I don't want to parade. Or like, no, I do care about what people think, but I'm just not interested in wearing makeup every day or, you know, whatever the thing is, is when they say that just to agree with them. So what do you want to parade and be like, yeah, I do.
1: Nice. I do want a parade. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. I want a full Or dress they're man. like,
0: you just don't care what my mom thinks, you know, be like, I don't,
1: you're right. I love it. I think that's a great approach. I I wish that I had thought of it at the time. Yes, I do. I want a full brass band, seventy six trombones. Bring it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And like, just agree with them sometimes in the moment. And I'm not saying all the time, but in those moments where the reason they're telling you something is to manipulate you to do the opposite thing, right? You know, you don't care about my mom, and she wants to stay here, and you just say, "You're right. I don't. I don't care." Yep. Huh? God, you're so right. How did you get so wise? Good point. Yes. Yes, you're right.
1: I love that. I I wish I'd had that tool at the time because what came next was that he was so stressed out and miserable. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be the most supportive partner I can be. I said, every day, I said, what can I do to support you today? What can I do to support you today? And he says, well, do this household test, do that household test that we're actually his tasks. So in like a several week period, I was literally doing every single thing and he was doing nothing. And I wasn't getting my own tasks done. So after like four weeks of this, I said to him, hey, I'm starting to feel a little anxious because I'm falling behind on these things that are my responsibility because I'm doing this other stuff and I'm getting concerned that it's not getting done. And he had a fit. He started shouting and he was yelling, see, you never cared about me. You never genuinely cared about me. You were just manipulating me. So none of this work you did counts. (sighs) Yep. Well, and the issue there
0: is inside his own mind, if he's grooming all the time, then He's literally tallying things up. So in his head, he has an actual spreadsheet. Yes. And he thinks, if I do these 10 things of grooming, then I get to cash out for my goal, my intended aim. This grooming is to have this effect. Because non-abusers don't think that way, the it-doesn't-count business doesn't even make sense. It is completely nonsensical. It is totally the toilet either gets cleaned or it doesn't. There's no, there's no part of that where you clean it, but it doesn't quote unquote count. Is it clean or is it not clean?
1: Right. Oh, but if you enjoyed it, it doesn't count. (laughs) So It does count because the
0: toilet's (laughs) still clean. They just are so nonsensical. And that, I I think that was the hardest thing for me because I am so logical and just Lately, I've been wondering if I'm actually might be on the spectrum a little bit. I'm just so, so logical that like these types of things were just the hardest for me to I would confront him. I would, you know, this doesn't make sense. Let me tell you all the reasons why. And it just kept me in the abuse because they're never going to say, oh, yeah, that's a good point. The toilet is
1: clean. So I guess the thing that matters is that you clean the toilet. Good job like several of the things you just said really resonated with me. First of all is the internal score sheet because he also did say that like he would do all these things quote unquote for me that I didn't ask for and didn't even want. And then he would rage at me and feel entitled to do so because he had done the things, which I didn't even ask for. So that's one thing. Well, and for him in his head, he thought that was
0: grooming and he thought it would get him something. Right. So when it didn't work, it was infuriating because it was like, well, then I just, it didn't count in his own head. Right. It was all for nothing because doing the dishes just, just to do the dishes doesn't count unless you have some other goal that you're trying to get. Right. So if he does the dishes and it's grooming and he doesn't get what the aim of the dish doing is, which is maybe sex or something, then it was like, well, doing dishes was a waste.
1: Yes, 100%. And I love the way you articulated that so clearly, because for me, when I was in it, it was just so confusing. And I would revert back to what you were describing that you did, which is trying to like logic it out and trying to explain things to him. And he would get so resentful whenever I use logic and get so angry because he couldn't refute it. And then he would rage and tantrum and all the other things. So yes, you're right on.
0: For our listeners, so many women have talked to me and they've said, if only I could do what you did, Anne, if only I could have, you know, stood up for myself and told them that it was unacceptable and, you know, all that stuff, then maybe things would have been better for me. And I always want to say no, 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 you cannot logic them out of abusing you. I wasn't the type to do service, for example. So had that happened in my case, and this is not better or worse, this is just different ways of dealing with abuse. I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that, right? And so I would just fight him on stuff. And rarely was he able to get me to do the thing that he wanted me to do. That just, I was the worst, worst victim in the world. I just did not, would not do it. And so a lot of women think, well, had I done that, things would have been better for me. And I'm, I'm like, no, because then I just ended up in an argument with him all the time, right? We were just constantly fighting and I would win a lot of the time because I'm logical. And so I could win and then he wouldn't get what he wanted, but then he'd just like the resentment would build up. So the only way to be safe isn't to comply with the abuse, but it's also not to confront it either, right? Neither of those two things work make your way to safety by setting boundaries. We have a strategy workshop, the btr.org strategy workshop that teaches women how to communicate with abusers in a way that will keep them safe. If you're interested in that, go to our website, scroll down to the bottom. It says join our community and you can submit your email and you'll get weekly updates about Everything that's going on at BTR, but also when we're going to be doing that strategy workshop the next time. Or you can just go to btr.org slash strategy and see when the next dates are. It is amazing. It's how to not do either of those things. It's how to not confront and also how not to comply at the same time so that you can just kind of fade from the abuse in a way that is safe. So I recommend everyone check that out because it's too complex really to, to like say in two minutes. And that's not what this episode is about. But that's a hard thing for victims to wrap their head around that like you can't confront it, but you also can't comply. Right. So where does that leave you? And I think most women fall into those two categories. It's it's very rare that someone is like, oh, I'll just be like, OK, I'm going to get in my car and move into an apartment. Right. Most women love their husbands and they want to make it work. And so they're either going to try to make it work through confronting him or they're going to try to make it work through complying. Stay tuned for the end of Laurel's story. She will be back on the episode. She'll be back on the podcast next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast.
1: And until next week, stay safe out there.